Tom Dioria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk on the first Sunday of February, February 5th, 2017. We're on at 5 p.m. in New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. Today we're live from our New York offices and we're going to be talking to you today about the broken internet with our guest Andy Ori. I'm Tom Diori. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated, and together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with an increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email us suggestions to techtalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, and imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send us email questions uh, throughout the show or any time at that email address I gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. And we'll also be simulcast on the web. So if you can't get to your radio but you want to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website. That's 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. You can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so please take advantage of that. And please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. First segment, how we can review it's your increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world, and it's compiled by Dan Dioria, Jose Batista, and David Brandon. Okay, the Times tells us that there have been declines in print advertising, which rocketed the newspaper industry last year, and while the New York Times company recorded significant growth in subscriptions and promising increases in digital advertising. It nevertheless has not avoided the inevitable. The company said recently that its print advertising revenue in 2016 fell 16%, driving a 9% drop in total advertising revenue for the quarter. Uh, print advertising revenues declined 20%. The story of the digital side was positive, underscoring the diverging financial narratives for the print and digital that have emerged at the company. Digital advertising revenue rose 6% last year to $209 million. The Times company added 514 net digital-only subscriptions for its new products during the year, bringing its total to $1.6 million. Buoyed by Rita's intense interest in the presidential election, the company added 276,000 net-only digital subscriptions to its new products in the last three months of the year. Including print and crossword production subscriptions, the New York Times now has more than 3 million total paid subscribers, a milestone that aligns the company's commitment to a subscription-based revenue model that is less reliant on advertising revenue derived from page views and clicks. As for many other legacy print companies trying to adapt to an increasingly digital world, these have been challenging times for the New York Times. Last month, the Times released an internal report that called for swift changes in the newsroom, including more staff training and commitment to hiring journalists with wider-ranging skills and an elimination of 
duplicative layers of editing. Okay, so their total revenue is falling, though, and um, depending on who you listen to, they're turning into a more partisan publication, so we'll have to see where this goes. The Post tells us that nearly a year after voting to unionize, Editorial workers at the Huffington Post voted overwhelmingly to approve its first-ever collective bargaining agreement covering more than 200 people. In addition to minimum 3% annual wage hike over the next three years, the packet blocks editorial types of from working on branded content or native advertising that is paid for by sponsor or advertiser and introduces protections guaranteeing editorial independence. Native advertising, which advertises prepared material that closely resembles the independently produced editorial, has been one of the fast-growing and ad streams in digital publishing in recent years. Legacy publishers from Condé Nast to Time, Inc. have been pushing to allow their editorial workers to directly work on ads, breaching the once impenetrable barrier. Having the Post Pact sets a minimum pay base of $50,000 for the lowest-paid editorial reporters and $16 an hour pay for uh, comment moderators. The vote was 169 to 3 in support of the agreement. It's pretty interesting. TechCrunch tells us that Google has created its largest humanitarian fund to date in response to President Trump's executive order on immigration. The search giant's newest crisis campaign is $4 million in size. The money will be donated to four organizations, the American Civil Liberties Union Immigrant Legal Resource Center, Internal Rescue Committee, and the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. Uh, Google said that half of the funds will come direct from the company with the other half coming from employees. So essentially it is committing to match the donations to these organizations up to the tune of $2 million. The company said that it has given more than $16 million for humanitarian causes since 2015, including educational programs and providing Internet access at camps, but this fund is the largest single effort to date. The state of New York has privately asked surveillance companies to pitch a vast camera system that would scan and identify people who drive in and out of New York City. It's uh, the result of a recent uh, memo we've seen. Uh, a call for private companies to submit plans in part uh, of Governor Andrew Cuomo's major infrastructure package. Uh, the proposed system would both scan drivers as they approach across most of the city's bridges and tunnels at high speeds and would also capture and pair those photos with the license plates of their cars. The authority is interested in implementing a facial detection system in a free-flow highway environment where vehicle movement is unimpeded at highway speeds as well as bumper-to-bumper traffic. And license plate images are taken and matched to occupants of vehicles via license plate number. With facial detection and recognition methods from a gantry-based or roadside monitoring location, all seven of the MTA bridges and both its tunnels are named in the proposal. New York City wouldn't be the first in the United States to have a network of facial recognition cameras for law enforcement in 2013, for instance. Uh, the Los Angeles Police Department admitted it had deployed 16 cameras equipped with face recognition software designed to search for particular systems. And if you're a regular listener, uh, you'll know that um, we helped L.A. come up with the plan for that. Uh, but the most prominent known system is in Moscow, which attempted to pair hundreds of thousands of CCTV cameras with the advanced facial recognition software by NT, NTech Labs. Uh, Moscow Systems has beset with problems, though, 
and uh, we'll have to see how well the MTA does. CNET tells us that Snap, the parent company of Snapchat, is going public. First, the basis of the IPO. The company is said to be valued at 20 to $25 billion and is looking to raise $3 billion in the offering. It will list on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol SNAP, S-N-A-P. The five-year-old company, founded by a college dropout, made its long-awaited IPO filing public on Thursday in what's likely to be the biggest market debut for a tech company. Uh, in years, at least. The Los Angeles-based social network, uh, wildly popular among teens and young adults, has been one of the tech's unlikeliest success stories in years. Started by Evan Spiegel, a 26-year-old who dropped out of Stanford University, the app was once dismissed as a sexting app. But it's clearly much more than that. Power users included Kim Kardashian, DJ Khalid, and John Mayer. Instead of posts piling on top of each other like they do on Facebook, pictures and videos posted to Snapchat disappear after a set amount of time. It ushered in a form of casual social networking that's something of an antithesis to Mark Zuckerberg's nearly 2 billion strong behemoth. While it's the most high-profile public debut the tech company has seen lately, the amount of money Snap wants to raise pales in comparison to tech's biggest IPO from the Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba, that offering in 2014 raised almost $22 billion. Uh, Facebook comes in second with $16 billion. So we'll see where Snapchat goes and whether or not that uh, can help everyone and themselves. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to get to our guest, and we're going to talk to you about the broken internet. This is Tom DiOria. This is IMI's Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 5th of February, 2017. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria, and it's February 5th, 2017. 17. And as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, today's show is going to be on the broken Internet. Our guest is Andy Ori, who is one of the co-founders of 128 Technology, and he served as the company's chief executive officer and board member since its inception. Prior to 128 Technology, Andy co-founded Acme Packet in August of 2000 and served as its uh, CEO and president until Acme Packet's acquisition in 2013. He also founded Priority Call Management, and served as its Chief Executive Officer and Chairman. Andy holds a BA from Harvard University. Andy, uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us. I really appreciate it. Tom, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it as well. So that's an interesting name for your company, 128 Technology. What's that all about? Well, you know, up here in Boston, there is a highway that rings the city called Route 128. And uh, it's been referred to as America's Technology Highway. Quite literally, the Internet, with Bolt Brannick Newman, uh, Genuity, Wellfleet, was really born and pioneered here, as well as other technologies. And when we were trying to think of a name for something that we thought would impact about everything, we thought maybe it ought to be the region. And so I came up with the idea of Route 128, and then the rest of my co-founders wordsmithed it a little bit, and we developed 128 technology. That's pretty interesting. And what does 128 technology do? And then I'll tell you an interesting story about how I know about 128. But what do you guys do? 
Well, clearly you're older than 30 years old, is my guess, because it's very funny when we travel all over the country, people at no 128, there's, there's an age demark, um, and we're hoping to make it, uh, I guess, more in vogue again. So what 128 does is uh, we make software routers that are session-oriented. The Internet itself, it does everything people want it to do. If I said to your listeners, the Internet's broken and we're here to fix it, a lot of your listeners would say, well, that doesn't make sense. I can go home and I can FaceTime my kids. I can do online banking. I can get my email. I can watch Netflix. I mean, the Internet, it works. So what do you mean it's broken? What I mean is that it doesn't work very well. It's very expensive. It's very unwieldy. It's not very secure. It's very complicated. It's very hard to bring new services to market. And so it's become so difficult for people to actually manage securely and cost-effectively that we want to re-architect the way it works to make it better, faster, and cheaper so that people are able to do things more securely and more quickly than they've been able to do in the past. And we're doing that by developing new types of fundamental technologies. The routers are really fundamental to the Internet. They're the ones that connect all the different computing networks that allow your users to consume applications and services. And routing hasn't changed in 20 years. But the way we all use the Internet, our expectations, our reliance, and the monetization of services and, and products on the Internet have changed dramatically in 20 years. And so we're sort of modernizing it and making it work the way people now realize it needs to work. And how I know about 128 is I used to... Uh work for a company called IDG World Expo in Framingham. Yep. And I lived I lived in Boston for a number of years and took that trip back and forth every day. Um, so I definitely know 128, and I didn't even relate that to where you were coming from, so that's pretty cool. Um, all right, so that's a, uh, a definitely worthwhile mission that you have, and... Yes, I think a lot of people agree that the Internet is broken, but what does it take to fix it? I mean, what what do you need in terms of qualifications to be able to focus on this and make an impact? A bold vision, lots of resources, and a willingness to think very differently. Most technology companies, when they start, have trouble raising capital. And when they, when they do get capital, they're encouraged to focus, to focus on a product or a service, a market segment, and a group of customers. And while that focus makes it easier to understand what the business may accomplish, that focus can get in the way of really having broad or bold change. So that, that's number one. The second thing is you need access to resources. You know, we've got 80 people. We're going to hire another 30 or 40 people this year. We've been investing tens of millions of dollars, and that takes a lot of resources. And the third thing is that you need to be thinking differently. The key differentiator of us at 128 Technology and everyone else is that we don't come from the industry we're trying to fix. And when you think of companies that had the most transformational or disruptive impact on industry, it came not from the industry leaders or from people that left those industry players. It came from outsiders. So go back 10 years, and a computing company decided they wanted to make a telephone. And all of a sudden, we had the birth of the smartphone. We had the birth of the iPhone. Go back six years, and a tech entrepreneur decided they wanted to build a vehicle that ran on electricity. It wasn't a car with a power plant was in place and Tesla was born. 
And so you, disruption occurs when people think differently. Just about everybody who recognizes that the Internet and networking in general is having real problems comes from within that industry. And they are looking at the problem and their solution set and the tools in their toolkit are limited to the things that everyone has been told they need or, or the lessons they should eat. Whereas we don't come from the networking industry. And so we looked at it and we said more of the same, another incremental piece of technology, another box that we put, another overlay or tunnel isn't going to solve the problem. We need to re-architect networking as if we landed from Mars and were given the task and we had a blank whiteboard. Now the problem is no one's throwing out the Internet. There's $400 billion of infrastructure. There's $20 billion of sales that are happening every year just on edge technology going into these networks. So you have to fix what's wrong with the Internet using what's right with the Internet. So our requirement was we have to use everything that's already resident, but we need to think differently so that we can provide a solution that might be non-obvious. And so what we did is we said, let's, let's look at the infrastructure that everybody uses. There's three parts to it. There's storage, there's compute, and there's networking. Storage has been disrupted. When you buy a computer from Apple, you don't even get a disk drive anymore. Everything's in the cloud. Compute, there's a company called VMware, and there's containers, there's virtualized computing. So computers and applications that ride on computers are fundamentally different than they were 10 years ago. But what hasn't changed is networking. It's been frozen in time for the last 20 years. And when, what networking really is, is it's interconnecting different groups of computers. And the device that interconnects different groups of computers are called routers. And routers were, were, were born so that when we connected these groups of computers, people could consume bits of data, packets of data. But none of your listeners, nor do I, consume packets of data. We consume applications and we consume services. But applications and services require something, and this is a little technical and I apologize, but I won't get any more technical than this, require something called session state. But routers don't have any session state. And so for 20 years, we've seen this augmentation of technologies, firewalls for security, load balancers for scale, deep packet inspections so we can monitor what's going on, tunnels and overlays and VPNs and all this stuff so that people could consume and scale the services that the network could offer. And it's become so fragile and so complicated. And we said, what if we could reimagine routing? What if we took a router and we made it session state full? Can we do away with all these complex augmentations? And the answer is yes. Our vision is a simpler, smarter network that is more easily able to deploy services more securely, more quickly. And that's why we think 128 technology will transform the way people consume and deliver services. Okay, I want to get into that in uh, a little bit more detail, but we have to take our half-hour break um, where we do the national news. So everybody bear with us. Uh, this is Tom DiOrio. We're talking to Andy Ori from uh, 128 Technology. Uh, and if you missed uh, what that means, we'll tell you later in the show. Uh, it's the 5th of February, 2017. This is IMI's Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech 
Tech Talk on KFNX AM 100. I'm Tom DiOria, and that's the 5th of February, 2017, and we're talking uh, to Andy Oria about the broken Internet. And uh, in the last segment, Andy was telling us about uh, why it's broken, and um, I want to go back to something he was saying uh, earlier, that um, you guys aren't from the Internet so you're looking at it with a different perspective. What are you? What are your backgrounds? What, what makes you an outsider that's able to focus on this from another perspective? So we've spent the last 25 years trying to deliver services and applications of various types across computing networks where the Internet itself isn't able to develop, to deliver the functionality, and we've made technologies that were augmentative. You could think of them as middle boxes, technologies that go in the middle of the routing network, and that's typically what most people do. And after doing that for, for 25, 26 years, we said, you know, maybe we should turn this around. And rather than trying to figure out how to fool the network or help the network into doing something it couldn't ordinarily do, what if we just fix it and put all this functionality natively into the network? And, and the best example would be, and the easiest one for your listeners to understand, would be security. When the Internet was born and people started connecting their computers together, there was no security. Every computer could address every computer. And at some point, people said, well, wait a second. I've got 100 computers in my facility, and somebody from outside my facility can access every one of my computers. That doesn't seem to make sense. So someone came up with the idea of a firewall. So firewalls and security were afterthoughts. It's an example of a technology that was put on top of networking to do something. And we're basically saying that doesn't work anymore. We think that security would be one of the examples that needs to be infused into the network. The network itself should be providing security. It shouldn't be an afterthought. Well, that sounds like a, a, a daunting task. And how, how do you, since there's so much infrastructure in place, which, which you, you, know, you define the size and, and what's going on in terms of being input into the Internet, how do you approach this in such a way that, that uh, it's feasible to make the changes on a small scale and then bring it to a, a broad scale? I mean, it's like a show we did a couple of weeks ago about driverless cars. My perspective is there. that's a great idea, except that you have a driverless car next to some not bright person in a, drive, a driven car, and that upsets the whole equation. If it was 100% driverless cars, then it's you know then you have a lot more control over the environment. So how do you break something like this, this change of, of technology, philosophy, making the internet simple? How do you break in, it into the current environment? That, that, that's an incredibly insightful question, Tom. There's two things. There's been a technology state change and an environmental state change that make it possible. Without those two changes, exactly the impediments you're identifying would preclude this from happening. So let's talk about the technology. When we started the business three years ago, well, like a little two and a half years ago, the, the pace of computing had advanced so dramatically that we could literally take routing, a hardware router, and reduce it to software and run it on general-purpose computing with no technical debt, meaning there is no loss or limitation. It is as good as its hardware co counterpart. 
Now, that's very important because, number one, if we can take something that's in hardware and make it in software, we can change its DNA. And as I talked about in the earlier segment, we took routing that was session stateless and we made it session stateful. But more importantly, if we make it in software, we can virtualize it and then we can sprinkle it or disaggregate it over all your computing resources in your network. So we're not making a physical router that has a physical location that connects to specific wires. We're making a function that we're, that we're able to put across your computing environment so you can use it as you need it and only augment your routed network that currently exists when you need this special functionality. Over time, because we're not only much more functional, but one-tenth the cost, you're going to find that you're going to decommission those old routers and run more and more traffic across this new routing functionality. But the virtualization and the disaggregation or is really critical to saying this is possible because you're going to keep your routed network in place and you're only going to start to evolve it by adding us. The second thing is this, is that businesses today enjoy something called leverage. We're talking about a disruptive technology, better, faster, cheaper, but the leverage part is unbelievable. The leverage part means that you're at the pace at which meaningful enterprises can be grown and have a global impact on a global marketplace is quicker than it's ever been. Hewlett Packard, 40 years. Digital Equipment Corporation in Massachusetts, 20 years. Google, 12 years. Facebook, 7 years. Uber, 5 years. The pace of change happens quicker and quicker because you're able to distribute and enable consumption of your technology on, at unprecedented speeds. And so when we sit here and say we're going to fix the Internet, we're going to make it better, faster, cheaper, we're going to make it more secure, and we're going to do it by using what you already have in place and adding our functionality, we believe we can do this. And we believe we can do this in an amount of time that at networking scale would have been undreamable 20 years ago. So do you feel that, you know, there's, there's been a misnomer, I guess, out there that hardware is faster and more efficient than software, but that contradicts what you just said. So are there people out there that are currently using this software router technology and seeing the advantages you're talking about, or is it still something that's development? No, no, no. We, we, we actually have announced product. We do have customers. You'll be hearing from some of our customers shortly. Um, we're engaged now on three different continents in uh, proof of concepts, and we believe this year is going to be a, a year in which we convert a lot of this activity into referenceable customers. And, and the other thing I want to mention, and you brought it up, Tom, that's interesting, is that people do tend to think that, that hardware can be faster. Hardware is only faster when it's very specialized and you want to aggregate or focus that task in one location. But when you're doing something that's pretty general, like computing, and you don't need to do it all in one location, you actually can build much more massive capability resident and software distributed across more computing resources. And so we think that routing, apart from the very, very fastest core routers, we think the edges of all these routed networks are all going to be software, they're all going to be session-oriented, and they're all going to see the world the way we do. And when do you think this revolution will take hold? I mean, is this a – I mean, you just mentioned different time frames based on what different technologies and companies were doing 
Uh, is this uh, something that happens in the next 10 years, next five years? Quicker, quicker. So we were at a Gartner Data Center conference. It was sort of like our coming out party in Las Vegas uh, back in December. And they said something very interesting. They said that, and, and this was not said to the vendors, this was actually said to their large enterprise customers. They said by 2020, fully a third of your strategic partners and vendors and suppliers are people you've never even heard of or met yet. And some of them, if not most of them, are startup companies. So I think a company like Gartner is saying 36 months and we and technology like this will be strategic to these large enterprises and these cloud service providers. And I think in 60 months, it'll be a done deal that this is the way it's going to go. Now, uh, are your current customers uh, small, medium, or large? Or are they all, across, all different sizes across the board? Across the board, across the board. And our engagement is with some of the largest service providers in the world, some of the largest enterprises, and some of the smallest, most innovative cloud service providers. Everybody uses networking, everybody consumes applications and services, and everybody's applications and services are going to be treated differently in the next 60 months. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a break. When we come back... Uh we're going to talk about uh, some other topics, uh, security and SD-WAN, uh, for example. Our guest today is Andy Ori, who is one of the co-founders of 128 Technology. I'm Tom DiOria. This is IMI Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria. It's the 5th of February 2017. Our guest is Andy Ori, who's the co-founder of 128 Technology. He's also their CEO. And um, Andy, uh, before we get into the, the last segment here, tell our listeners how to follow up with you. What's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, Tom, thank you. Um, we have a web address, 128technology.com. That's 128technology.com, and everything is on the web, and we'd love to talk to anyone that uh, would find this helpful or of interest. Okay, changing gears a little bit. Um, I guess SD-WAN has become a popular topic in, in networking. Uh, can you explain what that is? Because a lot of us don't know. And yeah, I know it's... Thoughts. Well, it, 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 yeah, let, let me make it pretty simple. Um, people have different locations that are not in the same building. They could be in different cities, and they want to be able to connect them all. They want to be able to connect them all and control the connections, perhaps because they want to make sure that they route them back to their corporate data center. Now, the problem is that the people that are in these locations don't often or don't always want to go to the corporate data center or the main headquarters. They may want to go to Facebook. They may want to go to Google. And so people are trying to figure out how I can have different types of connectivity. It's called multi-path routing from my various locations so that I can route some traffic cheaply and inexpensively to the Internet and let it go. In other traffic, I might want to put on a special engineered pipe that would guarantee me better security or quality. And so, believe it or not, 
this is a very base use case. You know, we all are immersed in this thing called the Internet, and we think that this network must be able to do everything because everything we consume comes from it. But it is actually so dumb that it's shocking that, that you can't even have a network that says, if this is important to me, I want it to go to the corporate headquarters. If this isn't important to me, I don't want to pay that much for it. I don't care about security. Route it out to the Internet. Goodbye, good riddance, good bless you. And that functionality alone is creating what some people call a $6 billion industry called software-defined WAN, wide area network. That's the term for connecting these different locations, perhaps to a data center or a corporate location. We sit there and we look at it and we say, wow, that is like the simplest, most obvious use case of a router that just has some level of intelligence. And so we're not an SD-WAN company. What we are is we're a company that makes better routing and multi-path routing is only one of a thousand different ways people can use it. So the people that are making SD-WAN products fall into the former category I talked about a, ses a segment or two ago, where they come from inside the industry, and they're doing more of the same, and they're adding an incremental box or piece of technology so they can do one more use case that they might be able to monetize. If they can monetize it broadly enough, they call it a market segment. And we're like, stop. Because of cloud, because of mobility, because of end-to-end -end encryption, because of the applications that we all seem to consume dynamically, so all of this and the insatiable growth of our, of, of our consumption of bandwidth, it doesn't scale anymore. That kind of thinking that I'm going to make one more incremental thing to solve one more problem, it, it's, like, it's like rolling a snowball. It's become so big. And we're like, no, 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 you've got to start from scratch, make the right kind of routing, and that and a thousand other use cases are all more optimally um, supported. Well, thanks. That, uh, I think, was uh, pretty interesting and pretty educational. Um, let's switch gears one more time. Security. Um, I think that may be one example of the Internet being broken since that's constantly in the news. Um, what do you think about the future of making this a little bit more impenetrable. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, first of all, people need to understand their network infrastructure. Right? I, I mean, I kid you not. It is so complicated. When you go to these large enterprises or these cloud service providers, they have rules and they have boxes and they have locations, and it is so difficult for them to understand their own network. I mean, that's why something like Amazon Web Services even exists. It's a giant capitulation. I can't figure it out. I'm not going to do anything new because if I do anything new and it breaks, I lose my job. I tell my internal business customer, sorry. Internal business customer takes out credit card, goes to Amazon Web Services, and instantiates a new service. Right? Things, are, things are so complicated. So that's where things become the security gets compromised. It's not, it's not that the people at Target or at other companies were dumb. They just didn't understand all the corner cases and someone found a window into the building. So that's one problem. The second problem, beyond simplicity, is that security was an afterthought for connecting networks and consuming and delivering services. And that's a problem. So if you were to go to a large enterprise and you were to say, I want to solve that problem, there's two different groups. There's a network group, and they run the network. They determine what services people can offer and what connections can be made. And then there's a security group, a totally different group, who figures out what you can't do and where you can't go. So in technical tolerance, there's, an, there's, there's ACLs. These are, these are policies that, that say where you can't go. And then there's routing policies that say where you can go. And these two aren't integrated. And what we're saying is 
making routing something where you can integrate security into the route policy itself means that every route, every router, every path has complete security. And that is the only way that the network is going to provide and solve the problem that we're suffering from today. And I'm, I, as I'm sitting here in, in February of 2017, you will see more and more security breaches and security issues throughout this year. I'm sorry to say it. I don't want to see it. But the architecture of the network and the state of the technology today is just not designed to prevent it from happening. Now, your approach to changing things help with this? not change anything, make it worse? So, so security is something that deals with there's application security, there's end-user security, but there's also network security. So we can provide a necessary component into a much more secure world. We are not the complete solution, but we are a big part of the solution that ultimately will allow people to have a much more secure world. And so I think that session-oriented technology for routing that has security built into it is going to be one of the elements that people use to make this all work. Um, since we only have a, a couple of minutes left in the show, um, do you have any predictions for our audience about uh, what they should prepare themselves for besides your changing the Internet? <laughs> well, by the way, it's not just going to be us. We, we need lots of other people alongside of us, even competitors. Um, clearly, video, in vir I'm a big fan of virtual reality. Um, that just blew my mind. I, I tried it around Christmas time, and I just could not believe it. Um, I think that we're going to consume more and more video in not just in an immersive way, but in a way that maybe lets us travel a little bit less. I found in this business we use much more video um, as opposed to travel than we did in my previous business, and that's really only a, a 36-month differential, and people are comfortable with it. I think we're going to see things more interconnected. Um, the Internet of Things is absolutely going to happen, whether it's crazy as it sounds, whether it's your refrigerator or a solar roof um, or something in the garage or your car. We're just going to see billions of things appear on the network and start to connect with one another. Um, I think those are, the, those are the big predictions that I have, and I hope I'm wrong, by the way. I hope there are no more security breaches uh, because I think that it's costly and it, both in terms of, you know, it's just terrible. We just don't want to see any of that, but, uh, you know, you will. Well, Andy, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This is a great show, and we'll have you on uh, again and follow up on where we are with things. Thank you very much. Okay, I want to thank uh, Terry Giro, IMI's President, Dave Brandon, Dandy Oria, and Jose Batista for our Week in Review. Taylor Renz, our producer. Tess Encho is our associate producer. And Matt Campagni is our executive producer. And without the help of the KFNX AM 1100 production department, not a word would you hear. Thanks again for listening. And please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows. Or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Root for your teams. Your teams uh, have a great night. Drive safely. And uh, have a great week. And thanks again for listening.